Hey, welcome to night school. I thought I'd do a little studio session here, actually talking to the microphone. Don't know that I'll get around to doing an every night's a school night this quarter, this spring. I think I've got a day left of spring. I don't know. I think it's officially summer, maybe tomorrow or the next day. Don't know that I'll get a chance to do an every night's a school night. So, so much for this seasonal or quarterly plan for that, but... You know, it'll, it'll happen eventually. Uh, but, uh, you know, Father's Day was yesterday. And the most notable event on my Father's Day was calling the police on a transient guy. Let me just start from the beginning. There's a neighborhood near here. It's about, you know, like a two-minute drive from my house called Goldcrest. Really nice neighborhood. It's really off on its own. You can't walk there. Like, there's no sidewalks from town that'll take you there. It's just like, it gets kind of rural. Not rural, rural. Rural, rural. Rural, rural. Not rural, rural, but it's like the roads, there's no sidewalks. You just end up on these long roads with lots of trees. So there's no way to really safely walk there from town. And it's just families. Basically, Goldcrest and the, the neighborhoods around it, it's like family... It's, it's very wholesome. There's two, there's an elementary school and a junior high right next to each other. And then the houses just surround these two schools. It's, it's one of the rare places where you just see kids by themselves going to play basketball at the school. You know, parents don't need to like supervise their kids because they can just cross the street and go play basketball or go run around. It's a very safe and wholesome neighborhood. And, you know, there's, a, it's, there's always been homeless camps near here. There's always been an issue. I mean, even like 10, 12 years ago, th- there was just right like down the trail from my house at a homeless camp, there was some sort of turf war where three younger homeless guys beat two older homeless guys unconscious and then burned them to death. They lit their camp on fire. So they beat these guys unconscious and then lit their camp on fire and the guys burned to death. You know, that's just right. A very short walk down the trail from where I live. So there have been things like that going back as long as I've lived here. But there's kind of an invisible cutoff line. And there's a bunch of strip malls and everything where at this point they've just been taken over by the transients and homeless. Like the days of teenagers and just people hanging out at strip malls in this area, at least, is long gone. First of all, there's nothing there. You know, there's still a few stores you need to go to, but the idea, like, I mean, when I was growing up, nobody ever thought strip malls were beautiful. But there were stores that you wanted to go to, and there was reason to go there and just kind of walk around and hang out being a teenager or just with your family, with your family. You just, you'd go to strip malls and what made strip malls fun was the stores were were worth going to and you weren't scared of anything, (laughs) you know? Because now it's like, I don't go around terrified. Like I'm not scared of, of every single homeless person. But there's an uneasiness when you're just surrounded by mental and physical instability, by chaos, and you never know what you're going to deal with. 
And so the local strip malls here, it's like just syringe caps everywhere, people out of their minds. When you go to a strip mall now around here, you park and you go to the specific store that you're trying to go to and you walk there quickly and you walk back. And it's just the reality. You know, it's it's not it's not that it's it's dangerous. It's just uncomfortable. And we just sort of live with that discomfort now. And no, it's not an indictment of every homeless person. But that's the weird thing about that issue is is I don't know, it's just it's it, it's strange the way that that issue has been framed. Where you're not allowed to say this isn't okay. This is dumbing down everybody's quality of life. Yes, you can have empathy for these people. Everyone has a story. Everyone ended up the way they did generally for a reason. Maybe a few of them just through their own mistakes. But often these people have tragic lives. But uh, it's strange the way empathy has been framed where it's like, to even address the issue is seen as some sort of indictment of these people's souls or some sort of judgment of them as human beings. And it's interesting how all of this empathy, and this comes largely from the left, of course, but all of this empathy is, is placed on the transient people and the homeless people. Like, you, you can't say anything about them. You can't even describe the reality around you. You can't even describe what is taking place in your community. You can't even describe the just savage behavior that you're seeing on a daily basis. Otherwise, you're not being empathetic. Meanwhile, what about your empathy toward everyone else? What about your empathy toward the high school kids who right down the street are leaving school and they're walking by these camps and these they're seeing these syringes they're having to avoid these screaming raving maniacs every single day you know where does your empathy begin and end and you know empathy it, it, it's not a uh i don't know it, it's just you can have empathy for everybody involved and empathy for yourself, for Christ's sake. You know, have a little empathy for yourself and say, hey, this isn't manageable. We shouldn't allow this to become normal. But anyway, with uh, there's sort of an invisible line, though. Like the strip malls are, are done. There's a part of town here, like a quarter mile from my house where all the stores are, you know, where all the activity is. And I think it's just kind of accepted now that that's, that's just been consumed. It's just where insanity takes place day in and day out. Nothing can really be done about it. But there's an invisible line, and there's certain neighborhoods where you just don't see transient people. They almost know not to cross that line. So when you do see somebody over there, you're like, okay, well, this person really doesn't belong here. So back to the story... I took Batty for a walk at Goldcrest. It was a nice evening. It's it's this beautiful little... It's, it's like the, these... Just a development of, you know... Like nice middle-class houses surrounding these schools. And then uh, it kind of... 
it's just this little nice like wooded pathway that goes through the houses and some trees. Very pleasant. It feels like it's just completely on its own. And so I made it I made it down the trail with Batty or, or down the the sidewalk. And then I hear that familiar noise, that that same everyone has the same voice. Every single one of these guys who is he, they're all possessed by the same demon. And I just heard a guy the night before, and it could have been the same exact guy, but it wasn't. Just because like this demon that possesses these men, it makes them all sound the same. When they, when they cry out, when they scream, when they yell, when they talk to themselves, it's as if it's the same voice every time. It's weird. And so I hear that. I hear a voice, and I'm like, oh, I know what that sounds like. Immediately, you know. You hear another human being making a noise. You don't even see them yet. And you know that this is a transient who is out of his mind. But before I even heard the noise, I saw like just some clothing strewn about. And this and, and where this was was like right where the Goldcrest neighborhood meets the elementary school. Father's Day elementary school so I see like a uh, like one of those uh, neon work vests and I saw it and I was like oh, it's almost like what construction workers wear and then I looked at it and I was like oh no that's actually probably like a labor ready vest that's like a day worker almost like a chain gang vest and then it, right when I and then somebody's belt there was like and you don't see like this neighborhood you don't see clothes thrown around this is like the most pristine, clean little neighborhood. Families, schools. Everybody in this neighborhood seems to have their shit together. I house sat for somebody in there once. And that was the feeling I had. Just I had never been there before that. This is about five or six years ago. I house sat for somebody and I was like, this is just, this is like the ideal Pacific Northwest suburban neighborhood. It's right next to the woods. It's, it's not very far from stores and town, but it feels like a million miles away. But, uh, so, so, you know, I was walking down, I see these, these clothes strewn around, I see a belt and then I hear that voice, that, that demonic, that, that voice that's possessed by some sort of demonic entity. And I look up and I see a guy behind a tree off the pathway. He's just behind a tree. And he's just like, what's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? And I was just like, hey, clearly. And this guy too, like gaunt, very thin, all black, like a baggy hoodie. That wigger sort of uh, physiognomy, however you say that word. Like I've talked to Miles about this for many, many years. For like the last 20 years, Miles and I have talked about this. Where it's like certain people, based on the way their face looks, I mean, this is true for all different types of people, but wiggers specifically, certain people are born with a cer- with certain facial features or a certain facial structure that makes them predisposed to becoming a wigger. I don't know what the science is behind it, but I notice it. You could show me a picture of like 20 guys with no, I- with no like decoration, no style, no fashion, just their faces. And I would be able to accurately tell you which ones were wiggers based on 
the way their faces look. This guy had that. He looked like a wigger who has lost his soul. Because there's, because I didn't predict this. It makes sense now in retrospect, but I didn't, I didn't, pre- like when I was a teenager and the wigger phenomenon was, you know, popular, when it was cool to be a wigger, I didn't realize that homeless people in 20 years, half of them would be wiggers. It makes sense now. And it's not just that wiggers all became homeless because they did nothing with their lives, which is partly true. You know, some of them just, some of them are doing fine. Some, some of these wiggers are doing fine. But it, it's not just that they, um, these guys were fuck-ups, which a lot of them were. Like, obviously, a lot of the wiggers, like the hardcore wiggers you knew in junior high and high school were serious fuck-ups, and fuck-ups end up homeless, Uh, It's not just that, it's also that uh, like street culture has become increasingly influenced by like hip-hop and rap and you know, even like 60-year-old homeless women talk like wiggers now. I talked about this on this show where like there was one night where I was out walking and there was this older woman just like screaming on the bridge, screaming like threatening remarks down to another homeless person under the bridge she was standing over the bridge, just like, I will fucking kill you. Oh, my, you, 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 this, this. but it was all in Ebonics. Like, a, like she was like an older white woman, homeless, screaming at another homeless person. And it was all Ebonics. And that's normal. That's what you hear. Like when you walk by a group of homeless people downtown, chances are they're no matter who they are, no matter what their age is, no matter what their race is. They're going to be talking in this sort of ebonics slang, this ebonics tone of voice, because that's just the language of the street now. That's just how they talk on the street. It's drug culture. It's street culture. But there's also a lot of actual full-on wiggers involved. It's like how, I don't know if it's still going on, but for a while it seemed like there were a lot of homeless juggalos around here. And juggalos are low-hanging fruit. You know, like the whole like, oh, dude, juggalos, like that joke is very tired. I'm just talking about the reality that there were a lot of homeless juggalos around here for a while. A lot of homeless wiggers, too. Obviously, there's crossover between those things. Obviously, they're a similar archetype. This guy had that look. This guy looked like this guy who I saw in Goldcrest yesterday. You know, he he had the wigger physiognomy if I'm saying that word right he had the he could have been an ex-juggalo or a current juggalo but the difference is you'll still see homeless guys or transients who are still full-on wiggers they might be kind of grubby they might be kind of dirty they don't have that pristine like brand new you know because I mean the thing about wiggers back in the day is they always looked very clean and pristine like they had like a, a chain they were in a bunch of, they were like a, like a new sports hat. You know, everything was new. Everything was bright. So now when you see some of these guys, like, you know, well, I mean, I've, I've talked about this before, where you go to the thrift store now and you find like FUBU clothes. You go to the thrift store and they have like Johnny Blaze, Roca wear, whatever that shit people were wearing back in the late 90s, early 2000s. You'll see like 
old 75-year-old men wearing FUBU now, and they have no idea what it is. They just found it at the thrift store. Um, and when you see, like, these transient wiggers, you know, they're grubbier versions of what they once were, but they still kind of have that wigger identity. But there's a certain type of wigger who has lost his soul. And they are terrifying because it's like they don't even have it in them to be a wigger anymore. It's just like the fumes of a wigger. It's like their their muscle memory, their mental memory, like remembers that they were a wigger. So they still sound like that and act like that. But they don't even remember that they're a wigger anymore because they're gone. That's what this guy was like. That's what this guy behind the tree was like. And something about him really unsettled me. For one, he had crossed the invisible boundary of places where these guys shouldn't go. Transient guys should not be in this neighborhood. It's it's filled with little kids. It's it's a neighborhood that just encircles two schools for young kids, an elementary school and a junior high. Kids and families roam free. It's one of the few places... Even in an area like this that's relatively safe, it's one of the few places where you can you go there and you're like, yeah, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way it felt when I was growing up, where boys could just wander around the neighborhood safely. Nobody had to worry. So I see this guy and I'm just like, oh, he doesn't belong there. Something about him is making me uncomfortable. I was carrying Batty and something I, I thought to myself, I'm glad that I'm carrying Batty right now. I don't know what it was, but something about this guy unsettled me, and I wasn't sure what. Beyond the fact that he didn't belong in this neighborhood, truly didn't belong there, something about him unsettled me. And so I crossed the street and was like going up, and then I glanced back at him because I was like, what is he doing behind that tree? And I glanced back at him, and he had his pants down. He had his pants were, were down. And like I, I mentioned before, like I had seen clothes strewn about. I had seen a belt and clothes like strewn about on the sidewalk before I noticed him, before I heard that demon-possessed voice. And so I look over and he has his pants down. It didn't look like anything sexual was going on, but it's like, I don't know if he was going to the bathroom I don't know if in just some sort of drug-induced haze, he just started like taking his clothes off because I know that happens. I don't know if there was a purpose to him having his pants down and and clothes strewn about. But I glanced back at him, and he was looking right at me. And he had to crane his head to look at me. So he was watching me. I had passed him. I was going up the hill, and I just glanced back at him. He goes, why are you looking at me? Sort of like, like, what are you looking at? Sort of thing. Well, I'm looking at the, the transient wigger without a soul who's lost his soul with his pants down behind the tree a hundred feet from an elementary school on father's day that's what i'm looking at and i know you know it's not about logic it's not about like the logic of me like why would i look at this guy why would i turn my head and look at this guy he's just a, a homeless wigger in all black with his pants down behind a tree a hundred feet from an elementary school where little boys are playing basketball on Father's Day. Can't imagine why I would look at this guy, but what what bothered me about it is like, 
he got mad at me and he, and he seemed really threatening. Like something about his tone of voice was threatening. And what got me about it though was he had to have been staring at me for him to have noticed me when I glanced at him. Cause I just like turned my head to the right briefly just to see what he was doing. And for him to have seen me, for, for him to have seen me look at him, he had to have been watching me. So it's like, what the fuck are you looking at? But again, we don't, you don't need to get into some kind of logic game. This is a guy, this is a, a homeless wigger with his pants down behind a tree. And I don't know if anything sexual was going on. I don't know if he was jerking off. I don't know if his underwear was down. I just know that his pants were down. And he wasn't squatting. And, it, and he wasn't pissing. Because, I mean, if he was pissing, unless he was one of those kids that you grew up with, like those kids in elementary school, you'd go into the, the school bathroom and their pants would be down by their ankles at the urinal and their ass would be completely exposed. Those kids were insane. Unless he was one of those kids, he didn't need to pull his pants all the way down to be pissing. But he had his pants all the way down he wasn't squatting. He just had his pants down. I didn't see any, uh, I didn't see a dicky. I didn't see a dicky. I didn't look very hard, but I didn't see that. But I don't know. The point is, is that he was ready. If there was any kind of like sexual intention, he was ready at least. He, he was ready to go. He was ready to whip his dicky out. He had his pants down. So once, once he was out of view, though, I just I called the cops. I was like, there's a lot of people driving by. There was another guy a little bit younger than me walking his dog who walked by him. And I'm like, people are just going to tolerate this guy being here. People are going to tolerate this homeless wigger with his pants down behind a tree 100 feet away from little boys playing basketball unsupervised by adults on Father's Day. People are just going to tolerate this because that's what they do. They tolerate this. They don't want to confront the issue. So I was just like, fuck this. I'm calling the cops. I don't want to read on the news later that some guy in the Goldcrest neighborhood like approached a kid at the elementary school. I don't know what this guy's doing. He doesn't belong here. He should not have crossed that invisible line. This is not a neighborhood. And something about him, like I said, I found something about him deeply unsettling. I can't even put my finger on it beyond like just what I've already described. I don't know what it was, but I was very concerned, like having my dog with me. I was like, I'm glad I'm carrying Batty, but it also made me feel, you know, more vulnerable because if I was by myself without my dog, you know, I'm an athletic guy. I'm in my mid thirties. Unless someone has a weapon, I'm not too afraid of them. Unless it's a mob of people or they have a weapon, I'm not terribly afraid for my own well-being. Not that I can kick everybody's ass in the world, but I can at least run. I can outrun most people. If it came down to it, I feel like I'd have a fair chance physically defending myself when I'm by myself. But because I had my little dog, I was like, if this guy does anything, you know, I got to worry about Batty. And that's me. Like, Imagine being a dad going for a Father's Day walk and you come around the corner and there's a, a, a lunatic wigger with his pants down. 
in a completely safe neighborhood by a school. You know, nobody should be subjected to that. I don't know what led this guy there. I don't know what road led this guy to being there in that place. And I'm sure his story sucks. I'm sure, you know, probability tells me like this guy's probably had a hard life. I don't know. There's homeless people who have had easy lives and something just got weird. You know, something got fucked up. You never know. His life probably hasn't been good. And that sucks. And I I feel for that. Did you know? Oh, God, I got it. It's weird. You have to give this disclaimer. This has become this is this is through uh, the influence of the far left, where it's like to even describe what a homeless person or a transient is doing. You have to give this disclaimer and broadcast your empathy. Oh, just so you know, I'm empathetic toward their situation. And I'm finding myself doing that right now. Where it's like, just so you know, I'm I'm empathetic. I have empathy. He must have had a really hard life. It's like you have to give that disclaimer in order to talk about the fact that this guy has his pants down near children on Father's Day. Bullshit. And I've been called out for not doing that enough. Like, I've, I've told the story on here before, like, I think it was like three or four years ago. I was seeing a girl, and she's a wonderful girl. I have nothing bad to say about her. I have nothing but a, a high opinion of her. But she would listen to this show. I don't think I, uh, the idea of a, like a girl listening to this show now, I mean, it's it's gone so far. I mean, I was way more careful three or four years ago, if you can believe that, about what I'd say. But I was talking about like I went trespassing in this state park that was closed three or four years ago. And uh, it was kind of a lewd episode where I was like, I was walking around with my dicky out. I was pretty much, I don't know, it was a joke. Um, but uh, in that episode, I mentioned trying, to, I was like, oh, I, I tried to avoid a ho- you know wandering into a homeless camp. And this girl I was seeing who, who heard that episode, like, started messaging me and she was really upset about that comment. And that was all it was. It wasn't this. It wasn't some in-depth analysis of homeless wiggers. It was simply at one point in the episode talking about wandering around in this park. I said, oh, yeah, I, I wanted to avoid the homeless camp. And she was like, that's. She was really upset about it. She thought it was offensive. And it was weird to me because I'm like, I didn't even say anything critical of homeless people. All I said is that I wanted to avoid this homeless camp. That could be out of respect for them. You know, I think there's multiple reasons. Even though I, I do have issues with somebody just like camping out in a public place and throwing their trash there. And making it an unsafe place to to venture. Even though I have issues with that, I also respect that that's their space. Like, even if I don't think a homeless camp should be where it is, I also respect that that's their space. It's, it's I don't think it's that complex. Like a good example is yesterday, before this whole thing with the, the pant, the... The, ex- the wigger exposing himself. Uh, before that, I was at another park. I was crossing through another park running some errands. And this one's like a, another place where it's just, you don't see homeless people there. It's just for kids. It's one of the only parks in town with a big, uh, like a uh, a jungle gym. 
It's, it's, it's a park that only kids go to. But there was a homeless guy asleep on the playground pathway. He had a blanket over him. And you never see that at this park. It's another one of those places where there's almost an invisible line. Where like, this is a park where kids and their parents go to play. You don't see homeless people sleeping there. But there was a guy passed out in the middle of the pathway with a blanket over him. And as I passed him, I noticed that there was, he had a DVD. And I think it might have had the, the shrink wrap still on it. But he, there was a DVD like right next to him. And he didn't have anything. He didn't, I don't even think he had a backpack. He had a blanket and a DVD. And I passed him and I, the DVD was like by his back. It was clearly his. And I don't know if these guys have access to DVD players at shelters or, or if it just he found a DVD in a free box and he's like, I'm taking this. Um, I don't know what led to him having this DVD, but I passed him. And then I thought to myself, I was like, I want to know what that DVD is. Because it, it was just, you know, it, it was sad, but it was funny that this guy's passed out on a playground sidewalk and there's just a DVD next to him. A DVD case, possibly with shrink wrap still on it. So uh, I was like, God, I want to know what's, what DVD that is. But I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to go, like, even though he's passed out in the middle of a public park and I practically had to step over him, I'm not going to go loom over him just to see what DVD is next to him. I'm not going to go walk back and just like lean over this man's sleeping body to know what DVD that is. I respect his space as a human being. I don't think he should be there. I don't think this guy should be passed out in the middle of the main walkway in front of a playground. But I'm also not going to go invade his space to see what DVD that was. It still bothers me. I wish I knew what DVD that was. So it's like the same thing with this state park that I was in where I was like, I mentioned in an episode, I was like, I, I wanted to avoid the homeless camp. That was all I said. But this girl flew off the handle at me and she, she later kind of walked it back. But that's how people are around here. If you even describe, if you even mention homeless people, if you even mention homeless people, if you even mention the issue without giving some kind of disclaimer or broadcasting your, your empathy, people will be upset at you. You know, they will be upset at you. It's, it's almost like it's a protected class or something, and you're not even allowed to describe things as they are. And that's something I always point out on this show. Look for the situations where simply describing things as they are is considered offensive or inappropriate. There's a lot of that these days where you can't even describe something as you are. I've talked about this with myself when I was a fat kid. When I grew up fat, I realized at one point that like, oh, if someone even accurately describes what I look like, it's offensive. How do you accurately describe a fat person without being offensive? And you could say it's because the stigma against fat people, whatever, but doesn't really make a difference it's still like there's no way to accurately describe a fat person like let's say you're supposed to meet up with somebody for some reason like a friend of a friend like let's say that you're supposed to um i don't know you know like you're going to another town and one of your friends is like oh you got to meet up with my friend johnny he'll show you around 
And it's like, oh, you're going to meet Johnny at this cafe. Well, what does Johnny look like? Well, he's a big guy. Oh, so he's really tall. No, he's not tall. He's a big guy. Oh, so he's really muscular. Um, no, he's not muscular. Oh, so he's fat. He's fat. There's no real way to uh, accurately describe a fat person without insulting them. And maybe part of that is this this alleged stigma against fat people, but it's just one of those things. Like, there's no way to accurately describe the behavior of many homeless people without... I mean, it's going to be unflattering. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Like, when you can't describe something accurately without it being unflattering. And people have become very sensitive about that. They think if you even mention homeless people or the behavior or conduct of of many homeless people, that you basically want them dead. You basically want them dead. But it's created such a bizarre situation, and, and we're really, we're turning the other way. Because, I mean, thinking about this guy in Goldcrest yesterday, I feel like in a different time and place, a dad would have driven by and seen this guy with his pants down behind a tree right by an elementary school on Father's Day, and he would have gotten a few other dads from the neighborhood, and they literally would have thrown this guy out of Goldcrest. Because it is kind of its own little village. I feel like in a different time and place, they would have been like, you know what, it's unacceptable for this insane homeless wigger to to have his pants down behind a tree with little boys nearby. Let's grab him and if he let's drive him out of this freaking neighborhood and if he if he won't leave, we will literally throw him out. But that that clearly hadn't happened. People were driving by, people were walking by. So I was just like, you know, I'm gonna call the cops. I don't like to call the cops. I don't enjoy calling the cops, but I do it. If I see somebody and they are obviously driving drunk, I call the cops. If I see a madman with his pants down near children, I call the cops. You know, this is something that Miles has talked about where it's like this like fake prison mentality that's developed in our culture. And I don't know if this is exactly what he's talking about, but he's been talking about it for years where it's like people have taken on this like pseudo prison mindset. Don't snitch. And it, it, part of this, too, is it's it's like the it's the rap and hip hop influence on our, our culture as well, where it's like, don't snitch. Don't call the cops. I don't like calling the cops. But you know what? There's a, a, a time and a place. There's a reason to do it sometimes. And I feel like I use good judgment, but I hate having to do it. I hate having to talk to the 911 operator, but I make myself do it. When I passed this guy, as soon as I was out of his eyesight, like I didn't want him to see me on the phone because he was already paranoid. Paranoid with his pants down. But as soon as he was out of, uh, as soon as I was out of his view, I called the cops right away and broke down exactly where he was and what he was doing. And uh, it's a good exercise too. It's a good exercise sometimes to have to talk to the 911 operator and describe things as accurately as you can. 
You never know when that will come in handy. Like taking in your surroundings. But what concerned me too is like something about this guy really unsettled me. I'm not afraid of every homeless person I see. Most of them I don't really think anything of one way or another. I'm just like, well, there's a person who's on the street. There's a person who's not doing well. But every once in a while, you'll come across one that just deeply unsettles you. And that's how I felt about this guy. And uh, what bothered me, too, is I was like, I'm going to have to pass by him again on my way back. The only way to get back to my car is to pass by him again. That's not good. He's like the goblin guarding the entrance to this neighborhood. That's what he was like. He was like a little medieval goblin, a fantasy goblin guarding a path. And uh, so I took Batty. I ended up walking longer just to, to give the cops some time to come by. And when I came back, he was gone. I think maybe they found him or he wandered off. But it's just like, this is what we're accepting. And I don't know what to do. And it gets me too, because, you know, I live in a very far left city, a small far left city in a pretty far left state. The governor's on the left. The governor's a Democrat. Like every level of government in the city and state I live in, and right now the federal government is lined up this way, but yet like who's holding you back? Like the, the thing about the left is like, they think they have, they, they say they have these solutions for ending homelessness, like, oh, mental health treatment and giving everybody a place to live, a roof over their heads and mental health treatment. What's stopping you? What is stopping you in Seattle, Portland, Olympia, San Francisco? The government is, the government is your government. How are, how are the Republicans stopping you from putting this in place? I think the problem is just so far out of control. And then on the right wing, you see things like, well, we just need institutions again. We just need to institutionalize these people. And I don't know what to say about that. I just know that we can't. At some point, you have to have empathy for yourself and the people who are functioning around you. And the idea is like, oh, we should have empathy for these people on the street. Yes, we should. We do. Many of us do have empathy for them. But at what, at what point does your empathy for these people on the street outweigh your empathy for children and families and normal people who just want to go to the strip mall without stepping on syringes? At what point does your empathy for homeless people outweigh families on Father's Day just wanting to go play basketball at the elementary school where this madman has his pants down. You know, it's, it's, that's, that's kind of what we're dealing with here. I'm not offering a solution. I'm saying it's unacceptable on every level to live in a society where this is happening. And the left seems to think that they have the right plan of attack. And I'm not saying they don't. I'm not saying those things don't help. At least they help certain people. But the problem is so unmanageable now. And it's only going to get worse. 
I don't know. I mean, I don't even know that I'm opposed to institutions because the problem with institutions in the past is abuse and mistreatment and cruelty. But institutions, you know, where we can at least guarantee these people are treated like human beings, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, going all in on that. I'm just saying, like, having these people around us in, keep in mind, I don't live in the big city. I live in a tiny city. I live in a, a suburban slash forested edge of that city. I live at the edge of a tiny city where the suburbs meet the forest and then it goes, it becomes rural within minutes. The fact that this is going on here. Because people who live in cities are like, oh, what are you, a prude? You ever heard of the city? Oh, being in the city, just like people who live in the city, especially people who aren't from the city originally, they always have this pride over the fact that like, oh, you know, my, I see other filth and depravity everywhere I go. Like they think they're cultured. Like people who, who uh, these like wannabe cosmopolitans have a tendency to think like, that gives them credibility that they see depravity and filth everywhere they go in the city. And then if somebody expresses some kind of uh, discontentment with that filth and depravity, they're like, oh, you're a prude. You're not cool. Oh, you don't like, uh, you're upset that there's a homeless guy with his pants down near children. You just don't know. You're just not cool enough for the city. And people who have especially had like, I've known so many people like this who it's like they've lived easy lives, easy suburban lives, middle to upper middle class. They lived in the ghetto for like two months when they were in college. And now that gives them credibility for the rest of their life. Oh, in my old neighborhood, there was shootings. There used to be shootings and we just, we just you know, it was just no big deal. Oh, in my old neighborhood, there was, there was like always a homeless guy throwing up on our, our doorstep with his dicky out. That's just, that's just what the city's like. You ever heard of the city? It's like, yeah, I've heard of it. I'm not a prude. I'm aware of all this stuff. I've seen all this stuff. My point is, this doesn't give you credibility. It doesn't make you cool because you tolerate this stuff. It doesn't make you cool to tolerate gangbangers in your neighborhood. It doesn't make you cool to tolerate, you know, madmen with their pants down next to your elementary schools. It's just bizarre. But uh, when I walk back, when I, when I walk back uh, the way I came later, the guy was gone. I think they probably picked him up. I got that vibe. Because the, uh, the neon work vest had been very like delicately hung up on a uh, street sign. And I don't think that guy would have done it on his own. So I think the cops found him. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where I'm like, this is, uh, this is becoming more and more of a problem. And it's everywhere I go now. It is everywhere I go. I walk down the street. I do a lot of walking, as anybody who listens to this show knows. And even during the day... Most of the people that I see on the street are in this condition. The ratio of normal people to people who are just gone 
is is very unbalanced. And what does that do to you? You know, that does something to you. And it does something to everybody. I can complain about it. I can describe it. I mean, any complaint is really just a description. And if a description alone sounds like a complaint, well, then something's wrong with the situation. But I was like, that, that's Father's Day. That's Father's Day now, people. Welcome to America. Welcome to the West Coast in 2022. Father's Day means you just got to tolerate the fact that a, a homeless wigger in all black has his pants down behind a tree. Not even well hidden. There's like, it's like one tree by itself. And what's funny about this, too, is like there's tons of trees around this area. If this guy wanted to find a place to pull his pants down privately, all he had to do is cross the street. He chose this like one lone tree that's totally exposed on every side. Obviously, you know, we're not talking about logic here, but it's just one of those things where just like, Jesus Christ, man. Jesus, like, you know, I wonder if I was the only person to call the cops. I often feel that way. It's like when I see somebody who's obviously driving drunk, I don't hesitate to call the cops. You know, and it's not just me. You know, I don't have an itchy trigger finger where like if somebody just makes a mistake on the road, I'm not like, oh, he's drunk. He's drunk and I'm calling the cops. You know, if I see the, the signs that somebody's driving drunk, I call it in. Even if I'm wrong, the fact that that person is driving so recklessly and poorly means they should be pulled over anyway. But uh, with uh, with any situation like that now, I'm just like, yeah, yeah I'm going to call him in. Another situation, I was I was on a walk a few years ago, and uh, I was behind two transient guys. At least one of them looked like a wigger, because, I mean, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of wiggers on the streets these days. They might have both been, but they didn't see me behind them. And they were pulling a, uh, like one of those little, like, uh, like there's little like, uh, carts that you put dogs or children in behind a bike, like those little netted, I don't know what they call them. It's like a little cart and you can drag your kid or your bike or your kid or your dog around behind your bike. They had one of those. And I noticed that like, they didn't see me behind them walking behind them. And then, like, one of the guys, like, brandished a knife to the other guy. Like, a really nasty-looking long knife. And I was like... And it was almost like they were plotting something. And I called them in. I was just like, yeah, I'm behind two... I was just behind two transient guys walking at 10 o'clock at night. Heading toward a suburban neighborhood. And they're behaving suspiciously, and one of them just pulled out a really long knife, and then kind of hit it up his. And then, then he kind of hit it up his sleeve, like he had it at the ready. I called him in. If you're going to carry a knife around, I've, I've carried knives around in my life. I used to carry a knife home from the bar every time I would leave. Every time I would close out the bar, I would walk home with a knife secretly in my hand. I didn't brand, I mean, maybe once, maybe at one time I was really drunk and kind of brandished it for fun. 
<laughs> but, you know, I, if somebody had seen that, I should have gotten the cops called on me. But anyway, point being, like, I don't care. I, I don't care if I'm a snitch. I don't care if I'm a rat in these these sheltered people. You know, it's like they think you shouldn't call the cops. Oh, what if the cops came and killed him? Don't call the cops. The cops are bad. You know, just what a sick culture we're in. I'm kind of pissed off. Kind of pissed off today. But uh, I do think it's a it's a situation though. Like this is going to have to be solved by men. This is going to have to be solved by men. Like I was talking about the guy with his pants down. Like it kind of blew me away that in this family oriented neighborhood where there's children and families everywhere, this entire neighborhood is that I was in was is just families. That it's like five dads weren't out on the street, like grabbing this guy, throwing him out of the neighborhood. And, you know, it makes me think of something Adam Carolla, who I like. Adam Carolla is a good guy. But he was saying something recently about how the difference between, he has, he has twin, he has twins, a son and a daughter who are like 15. And he was saying what's interesting is like his son kind of thinks like he does where he just kind of like addresses things, you know, as they are and like does his best, you know, he, he just kind of, he, he's independent minded, basically, he's saying about his son. But he was saying with his daughter, what's very difficult is that the way she thinks is is completely informed by what society thinks. And he used the example of Coronivai, where he was saying like when Coronivai hit, his son was sort of like, well... I don't really trust what they're telling us. And like, I'm just, let's try to figure this out and like, and reason this through. Whereas his daughter was immediately parroting everything that was being told to her. It was just like, and and he's not saying this to criticize his daughter. And I think this is true for the way that many women think. I know this is true for many of the women I know. It's that like the pressure of what the, the collective thinks weighs on them heavily. And then they're on their phone all the time taking it in. I mean, I was talking to my buddy about this the other night where women are far more addicted to their phones than men. They're far more addicted to checking to see what people are thinking. And they're taking in all of this psychic activity. They're taking in everybody's thoughts. And they're very consensus-oriented. And for good reason. It's not that this is a bad thing. It's good that women are consensus-oriented because oftentimes the consensus is for the greater good. Oftentimes, not always. We know it's not always for the greater good. But it's like consensus-oriented thinking is helpful and we need it. And women, the amazing thing about women is, is you know, they, uh, they do seek to find a consensus, they do seek to find that, and that's an important quality to have. And of course, just like every freaking thing that you're, you talk about these days, well, well, not every woman thinks that way. I, I know not every woman thinks that way. I, I know women who are, uh, some of the women I'm closest to, some of the women I talk to the most, don't really think that way. And it's actually a struggle for them as a result. Because many other women they they know think that way. But uh, Adam Carolla commenting on that, I thought that was 
an astute observation that I find to be true as well, where him just noticing that his daughter, you know, is, is her, her view of the world is largely informed by how she, what she perceives to be like the, the societal consensus. And so he has to kind of like work through that. He obviously loves his daughter. I mean, there's, there's no question that Adam Carolla loves his daughter, but I think that he's making an accurate observation. But uh, this sort of uh, consensus has been formed, and it's largely women. You know, I don't think it's a coincidence that this girl I was seeing, like, kind of flipped out on me three or four years ago because I simply said that I was trying to avoid a homeless camp. Which, again, like, for the same reason, I didn't go back and, like, look at what DVD was on the ground next to that guy passed out at the children's park. Even though he shouldn't be there, I'm not going to go invade his space to look at the DVD. Same thing for a homeless camp in the park. If there's a homeless camp on the trail, maybe I don't think it should be there because this is everybody's trail and you shouldn't just take over a trail. But because you're there, I'm not going to go through your camp. I'm going to respect your space, even though I don't think that should be your space. But even that, you know, even just commenting that I avoided a homeless camp caused this girl that I knew who's very smart, very intelligent, very cool. I have nothing bad to say about her. Not I can't even I couldn't even dream up something bad. But that still caused her to react to my comment in some way. And that's because this consensus has been formed around the homeless conversation, at least in these circles. In liberal and lefty circles, it's um, a consensus has been formed that like you can't find this. Uh, I don't know. It, it, like this consensus has been formed that it's like you must pool all of your empathy and direct it toward this one group of people at the expense of everybody else. And to be upset about what's going on means you have bad character. That's sort of the way the consensus has been formed around this subject. And it's very difficult to work through that. It's very difficult to talk to somebody who thinks that way. Where it's like, if you're upset by this, it's because you have bad character. And uh, meanwhile, it's unacceptable. It's not the way a functioning society operates. But uh, anyway, I think it is going to be up to the men. And we don't want that. You know, that's the thing is like... We know how men handle problems, if men are even capable of handling problems anymore. You know, I think about like even just calling the cops on that guy. There's a lot of people who don't even have the balls to call the cops. Not that I'm manly. I mean, I feel really emasculated when I call the cops. I'm like, man, this should be something that either I I, I should be able to handle this myself or I, I shouldn't think it's a big enough problem. But, you know, it feels emasculating to call the police. Like, I can't solve this on my own, or I can't deal with this on my own. 
But there's people who don't even have the balls for that. Like this, this younger guy walking his dog around the time that I saw the guy yesterday, I could tell he was nervous. He was walking toward the, the guy with his pants down, and I could tell that he was nervous. I noticed that he stopped and he was like texting. He was walking very, very slowly, very carefully. I could tell that he was very nervous about this freak. But he didn't seem to be doing anything about it. Maybe he called the cops too. Maybe he put this guy in his place when I wasn't looking. Maybe he threw the guy out of the neighborhood as soon as I was out of uh, out of sight. But I don't think so. I, th- I think that... Uh, I think people don't have the balls to do anything anymore. People are afraid to even talk on the phone to people they love. People are just nervous, anxious wrecks. And, uh, you know, it's decisiveness that gets you out of that. And I need to take my own advice on that. I need to be more decisive about a lot of things. But, you know, it's decisiveness that gets you out of that mess. It's actually doing something. Like when I called the police on that guy yesterday, I was like, I don't like, I feel emasculated doing this, but I feel better than if I had just done nothing. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free. So take.